Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, is photographing your own child illegal? Is wedding photography for you? And how can you protect your photos online? All this and more on This Week in Photography number 39. Welcome to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. And I'm Scott Bourne, your host today, my usual cohort in photography crime, since every photograph seems to be a crime today, is Alex Lindsay, but he's not here. He's busy teaching somewhere on the East Coast, so to just be me along with my friends, I have the usual suspects with me in studio over here at Pixelcore, where we're recording today. I've got Frederick Johnson from Adobe. How you doing, friend? Very well, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for coming over. And uh, via Skype, I never know where these two guys are, but I know where they live. He lives in New York. I don't know where he is. He's a photojournalist that you should know about because his work is stellar. His name is Steve Simon. Welcome to the show, Steve. Where are you today? Hey, guys. I'm, I'm in my home office in uh, Chelsea, New York City. Chelsea, New York City. Okay. Uh, Ron Brinkman hails from Hermosa Beach. Are you in Hermosa yep. Beach? I am in my home office in Hermosa Beach. Okay. Adam. Well, so we have uh, we have a quorum. Um, we don't have our producer Aaron today due to technical difficulties. Uh, we do have the very capable Joe Lindsay, Alex's brother, uh, riding shotgun over here on engineering. So we're going to be just fine. Today's topic is weddings, but we'll get to that in just a minute because a couple of reminders for you. If you were to link to us from your blog or your website do you know that you could win a drobo we're going to announce the winner pretty soon so make sure you have a link to us also want to mention that we do have the show available on itunes and we really appreciate it if you could subscribe because that helps other people know that we're around which helps us make sure we get all the help we can to photographers who are interested in what we're doing also want to point out that we are about to move the blog in fact, by the time you hear this, you should you should see the blog at a different location and upgrade it, etc. So if there's problems with the blog when you hear this, it's because the move didn't go so well. <laughs> have, have the movers have the movers come in, Scott? The movers, Is the movers all the, are, are in the house right now. All the so. boxes, all the comments are packed up in boxes. Well, we sure up? hope so. <laughs> okay, just a, checking. Bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stuff that's going to have to have happen to make that work. So let's go to the news. Um, well, Fujifilm has launched the Z20FD social network. Now, leave it to a camera company to come up with a screwy name with initials, characters, and acronyms in the name of something. We can't just have a nice name for the social network. We've got to have, uh, uh, you know, numbers and letters. Ron, what's going on here? I think the, the network that goes with it is zspotnow.com, but that's not much better. I, I just tossed this one into our own news feed just because I think it's, it's clearly pretty stupid in the sense that... <laughs> Ron, how do you really feel about this? <laughs> well, I, the thing is, I read this, I'm like, huh? And But it is kind of interesting in the sense that I do believe that further down the road, and not too much longer, you are going to see a lot more connect connectivity with 
your camera and you know and the cloud and the web and all the the community stuff that's out there and a lot of other stuff that's out there as well this little camera that fuji is launching really doesn't have much of that it's just got a few little features that you know a special blog mode that will automatically resize the images so they're ready for upload and it's got stuff set up that's ready to go straight to youtube and uh, and then they've got a social network that sort of is in support of all of this. Well, they're they're okay. clear, they're clearly hoping that uh, nobody that gets this camera has ever heard of Flickr. Uh, well, exactly. Okay. There's so much out there. We'll do the same thing. So, can how many? How many? Wait, 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 wait. One at a time. Oh, guys. go ahead, go ahead Steve. Time. Oh, I was just going to say, how many social networks can one be a part of? I mean, I know you, I, I'm not as plugged in, as connected as, as many of you guys, perhaps all of you guys, but is there a sort of fatigue factor? I mean, yes. there's so many different yes. things going on. Yes. It's, it's a little overwhelming, and I, I'm frankly starting to feel overwhelmed a little bit by just all the, the blogs that are hitting. I mean, it's only growing exponentially, and, and I, I don't know what the future is for all this stuff. I mean, maybe just a few ones. I can tell like, you what it is. It isn't. It isn't the Z20 FD social network from Fujifilm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This will. Let's keep going. We got lots of news. Nick Software announces some plugins, and uh, Silver Effects Pro is one that I'm testing right now. I'll have a report on the blog on that next week. Another one they have upgraded for free to the existing owners is Color Effects Pro, which now works with Aperture. I've been waiting for this moment because I wanted to be able to use it in Aperture. It also works with Photoshop and also works, I believe, with Elements. It is a very cool plugin. Um, it's very spendy, though. It's not really for amateurs. It's two ninety nine for the Color Effects Pro and one ninety nine, I believe, for Silver Effects Pro, which is a black and white converter. We'll have more on those on the blog later. Um, now, here, here we go. You know, we are definitely going to have a show soon. That's nothing. Nothing but. You know, horror stories of photographers being treated like terrorists. But we got a couple of quick news items. A father of three branded a pervert for, wait for it, wait for it, photographing his own children in public. Oh, no. And where did this happen? It can only happen in a place like Great Britain because apparently in Great Britain, they are convinced that everything that moves is a terrorist. I, <laughs> most of these stories seem to come out of Great Britain lately. Man taking photos of his own kids, strictly his own kids, is told to stop. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Terrible. I mean, I mean you know, it's either it's either perverts or terrorists, right? That's the yeah. thing that you now accuse somebody of being if you just want to get ridiculous, you know, over the top kind of a response from officials. But in this particular story, I mean, you know, with I mean, it, it was like one or two people that just reacted in this, you know, completely uh, exaggerated way, and and it became a big story. But but I mean, you're right, Scott. I mean, this this does a lot of this stuff seems to be emanating out of uh, England, and and I, I, that's I don't because know what you don't saying. you don't have the rights in England that you do here. There is not a free press in Great Britain. Period. I don't care if our UK listeners don't like me for saying it. It's the truth. <laughs> it's the absolute truth, and they're going. For Further, we've seen stories where uh, several British politicians have recently said, oh, yeah, the, the rights of the press are important just so long as we balance them with everybody else's rights, which basically means that the, the photographers don't have any rights. Go ahead. Uh, for, yeah, well, we mentioned that, that last week. And the irony of it is, is that, uh, you know, Great Britain is probably the most surveilled society out there. They've got cameras on every corner. I mean, <laughs> you can't you know, take time. a picture because we want to. <laughs> That's exactly it. I, I've, you know, I've sat in public places and just you know, literally it's just sort of when I was bored, looked around and counted the cameras that were looking at me. And it's in the dozens sometimes. But I, I will say on this story is, is uh, 
it's not one of those where the, the cops came and then they got involved. It, it, there actually is a sensible sort of a thing behind this in terms of the public response to it. The police officer came and confirmed that taking photos in public was legal. So in this case, it was more, you know, some citizens just kind of freaking out and being stupid. Well, what, uh, what's the backstory on this? I mean, was he doing something that no, he was just taking pi- no, 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 pornographic, take, or? taking pictures of his own kids on a slide in a public park, and some busybody came over and said, "You can't do that." Yep. Well, I mean, it you was you should a person be able to litigate that, against person, that person for that. You know, if it yeah. were me, I'd be litigating. You should, you should be able to. If somebody does something like that that causes this much of a disruption in your life, you should be able to reverse the yeah. tables and say, "Hey, that person needs to." be Well, and punished. it builds up this. It builds up this paranoia and then this mob mentality. So now all the people in the park come over and go, "Yeah, what are you doing, you you pervert?" And they and they're the, like ready the guy, to stone him. The person that that sort of made the complaint also had a child on the slide, and and she thought that. This guy was photographing, you know, her child as well. I mean, you know, so there was a little bit of sort of relevance to his to response her. was her kids were nowhere near my camera, and and I think you know it boils down to if you don't <laughs> if you don't want your kids photographed, uh, you know, when people are taking pictures of their kids, keep them away from them. But I mean, here's the simple truth: I'm never going to Britain again because I don't want to <laughs> live in a world like this. Go ahead and write me your hate mail. I don't care. I really don't. Let's I will move. again oh, underscore that this I said that, individual Scott people. Wow. Individual awesome. people in this case that freaked out, not, uh, not government officials. But, 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 but whole, uh, whole no, 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 I'm not condemning the country. I'm just saying I'm not going to go because here's the deal. I've got 50 of these stories compiled from Great Britain, and the fact is the British people allow it to happen because if they didn't want it to happen, they would elect public officials who would... Would change the laws. It's really oh, simple. The next story we have, or the next two stories we have, are from the U.S. Though that have that the is, same kind of crap going on. I disagree. It's not the second one is the first one's not as bad. Nobody was arrested or you know threatened with police at the Hyatt Hotel. It's and it's, it's legal. This is legal. The Hyatt Hotel policy prohibits photography in the lobby. So uh, Thomas Hawk, who's been on the show, uh, you know was was attending a Microsoft Pro Photo Summit at the Bellevue Hyatt. I've been there. It ain't that great a hotel. Uh, and and was told he couldn't take pictures in, in the lobby. Now, he ignored that and went ahead. Now, on private property, they do have the right to tell you not to take pictures. You can choose to be a guest or not. I was at the, um, the mall in Newport Beach at the, the fancy mall there, the Fashion, I fashion think Island. Fashion Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, outside the Apple Store friend just napped a real quick picture with her iPhone of the line that was standing out there mm-hmm. and, and, and Deputy Dog who was really a $6 an hour rent-a-cop ran up and said you can't take pictures on the property of the mall and I said fine I'll just take my big fat wallet and walk off the property of the mall and go spend my money somewhere else mm-hmm. which I did uh, you Alls know are- Malls are the place, the hardest probably place to shoot. It's true on private property. Um, a lot true. of these security guys, that's all they do is basically, you know, they spot someone with a camera. It's something to do because they really right. don't do a lot. But what's the, what's the basis of that? Like in, in a mall, why are they trying to prevent photography? Well, it's not like, it's not like it's the Pentagon or something. To tell you the truth, I'm going to find out because I'm going to contact the owners of the mall and say, is this your policy or was this deputy number 29 trying to prove he was powerful when he's not? I heard someplace uh, a long time ago that they prohibited prohibited photography in places like malls so to prevent people from 
taking pictures of their friends falling and then using that as evidence <laughs> to sue the place. Nothing would surprise me. Other, you know, other than that, who cares if you get in a photograph well, of yourself? Listen, in here's front the of thing: the if, if they want to yeah. have that policy, that's their right. That's different from the thing in the UK. I mean, the guy wasn't breaking any laws here. If you're asked not to take pictures on private property and you continue, you can be subject to arrest for trespassing. That's the law, and I know the law. But I can also vote with my feet and say I won't do business at places that have anti-photography policies. That's the way to deal with that. And, you know, right now we live in a world where folks need a scapegoat in order to feel safe. So apparently us as photographers, we're the scapegoat. Also, here's a man who actually was arrested in Tri-Cities area of eastern Washington. This is Richland, Kennewick, Pasco. And believe me, if, if... if there is a Gomer Pyle area in Washington State, it's Tri Cities, um, and I can say that because I have relatives living there. Uh, it, it is a terrible, terrible story. A man gets arrested because he took a picture of a county sheriff during a traffic stop using his cell phone. The officer said he feared for his life. You took a picture of me. It's illegal to take a picture of a law enforcement officer. By the way, it's not. And uh, he, the deputy changed his story several times. I'm sure this guy, like all these cases, you know, he won't, nothing will happen to him. He'll get off. He should sue. Um, and and there should be some training of the law enforcement so that they can understand that, buddy, you're in public. You're a public official. You're paid by the public. And, yeah, your picture needs to be taken. That's why we have a press. Steve, I want you to talk about this in particular. I mean, photojournalists have a very important job that's actually not recognized by most of us. But if it's not for the press, there's no eye on what goes on with government officials, then there's no check and balance, is there? Well, no, of course. I mean, that's, that's you know, journalism in the fourth estate is, is what it's all about. It's to keep, you know, make sure that that everybody is, uh, you know, exposed in terms of what they're doing and, and to uh, uh, make sure that, that everything's happening the way it, it should. Uh, but in this particular case, Scott, you know, this guy, he, he took a picture of the officer at night um, with a, with an iPhone, which um, nothing's going to come out. <laughs> so he's a mean, bad but, photographer. Are we going to arrest but, him for that? <laughs> but the thing is, though, I mean, it camera. seems to me a provocation in a sense. I mean, you know, what good is having a photograph? I mean, you, you just need the guy's name or whatever. So, I mean, you know, in some instances, uh, you know, maybe maybe the photographers are, are going too far. But, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we need to keep our elected and public uh, – employees and officials uh you know on the up and up and make sure that uh, there's there's nothing uh illegal happening and, and the press is there to to be the watchdog to some to some degree well as far as going too far steve the uh the officer in question said he saw a red light um i own an iphone and that's what the gentleman used to take the picture there is no red light that emanates from him he out the officer outright lied yeah, yeah, clearly. He just outright lied. So that that's a case of going too far. And the bottom line is we need to make sure that people understand photography is not a crime. Hence, we have announced on the blog that we're doing a, a, a TWIP apparel design contest. We're already getting some cool designs from our listeners. One of the shirts we sell will have the TWIP logo on the front, and on the back it will say, photography is not a crime. <laughs> I like it. So Wow. We're going to, we're going to, I, I am not going to speak for the show. I'm going to speak for me. I'm going to take a stand against this stuff. You know, you all don't no, I, have to, but I'm I, I want to, you know, I, I would love to organize, you know, a group of people to go shoot photos in the mall. 
That well, sounds I mean, like a good uh, sort of anarchistic uh, photo walk there. Yeah. I think we should Let's organize that. Now, see that, but see, get now, arrested here's the thing. and take, get taken away. I don't want to get arrested, nor do I want to encourage anybody. But that would be a great photo, it Scott Board in handcuffs. That, that is not a great photo. That would not be a great photo. Trust Stand me. up for the cause, man. <laughs> get the beat down. I, I, uh, I do not want to be Rodney King. Thank you. Um, the, the thing is that. I don't advocate breaking the law. And if a mall says you should go, you should go. I would just immediately leave like we did when we were at Fashion Island. I just won't spend any money there. That's the way I vote with my feet there. Now, when it comes to being in public, I am going to stand my ground. And, I, you know, it's possible I would allow myself to be arrested for doing what's legally right in public and, and then, you know, take the case somewhere where I could do something with it. But mm-hmm. I really don't want any trouble. And I'm sure the, the best way to approach this is not to go looking for trouble, but simply to correct people when they make the mistake that says you can't do that. Well, yes, I can. And by the way, this is being turned into a scam, folks. In Europe, we're starting to get stories of people dressing up like plainclothes policemen, walking up to tourists when they take a picture in places like a public mall or shopping store, saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to confiscate your camera. That's illegal here. And then the tourists give the camera up. Turns out the guy's just, you know, he's a local thief. So people are letting this kind Brilliant. of fear and paranoia. Fred's like, why didn't I think of that? Let's get our badges and go. Uh, you know, we, we need to be pointing this stuff out. I'm sorry to get on a rant. This is this is in the news. And by the way, I'm not letting this stuff in the news next week because it'll just get me wound up like I am right now. So we're going to talk about something out next week. Let's move on to our side of the week. Um, PhotographyMentor.com is the site I guess we ended up on. There were several we were looking at. Uh, we we uh, picked this one, and Fred, this is something you know something about, I isn't it? I know a little it? bit about this. Yeah, Robert Evans is a good friend of mine. He's a uh, wedding photographer out of Los Angeles. You know, does a, you know, the, the sort of the high-profile weddings like Tom Cruise and whoever he married. Was it a woman he married? Is it Katie? Katie I Holmes? thought it was Katie. Oprah. <laughs> yeah, that's next. <laughs> Michelle Obama. Um, yeah, so he does that and, uh, you know, very successful at that. He spun off this little company uh, or he co-founded this company called PhotographyMentor.com that is basically a collection of videos and community, if I'm getting this right, community for aspiring photographers to go and sort of watch behind the scenes what working pros are doing. So, for example, you know, if you did a segment on it, Scott, they would basically videotape you doing your nature photography and you'd be sort of talking through this is how I do it. You know, this is a blind. This is the lenses I'm using. Yada, yada. You know, I got you. That kind of thing. So it's a pretty, it's an interesting site. Well, check it out. PhotographyMentor.com. As always, the actual URL will appear in the show notes. And the show notes appear on the blog in conjunction with the podcast. Just go to the categories menu on the right side of the blog and you'll see audio podcast click on that you'll see all the the recent podcasts and you can get the show notes from there and if you have a suggestion as to a site of the week and you're not just promoting yourself by the way because we're not really interested in that if you have a suggestion send it to us at twipphoto at gmail.com or leave it over at delicious which is twip ideas the tag you want to use there let's uh, move on to the Flickr challenge and our current poll we have finally declared our winners in the fireworks category. And the winner was a winner by a mile. Not even close. A little girl attached to a giant firecracker, a la the Roadrunner, with a big giant box of matches. 
Oh, is this a cool photograph? It's <laughs> it's. Uh, did you guys look at this? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great because the content, and it's also really interesting because of the lighting. I mean, I'm looking at it again, and I'm it's, trying to figure out what sort he of. Got. Well, it's sort of got a little strobist lighting look to it, but that yeah, could, yeah. that could have been. A, they vignetted the corners. Yeah, there's that, mm-hmm. but it almost looks yeah. like she's standing in a little bit of a spot or something. Even yeah. it's, uh, it looks great. The girl, a, the, she's perfectly lit. It's perfectly composed. Look at the expression of her. Her expression is great. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to the moon. This may <laughs> this may be the finest photograph ever submitted to any of our contests. That's that's how much I like this one. Wow. It was. Uh, I may I may set this one aside. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. This this photo was going to win a book. It just got upgraded. Today's winner gets a copy of Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, free of charge from Adobe. So Nate Mayer is, I believe, the author. If you can prove you're you and the owner of this Flickr account and this photograph, uh, contact me at twipphoto at gmail.com, and I'll see that you get a copy of Adobe Photoshop Lightroom. Excellent job. Thank you so much for submitting. Also want to say we had a, a, a really cool runner-up, Selena Sparkles. Now, notice that both the pictures we picked had people in them, and uh, there's the really nice light on, on the uh, subject's face, the sparklers going on, there's some negative space. You know, it's a cool photograph. This is taken by Missy Brooks. You can never go wrong uh, with a person in a photo, in my opinion. Looks so, like it's ready for some text on the left it, side. It there. does, and that might have been what they were thinking about. Um, so our new challenge, you may be asking yourself, okay, what's the new challenge? Well, the new challenge is the color blue. As usual, we will not give you any additional instruction or feedback. It's up to you to determine how to make a photograph that will work in that theme. You can use photographs from the old days, but the spirit of the competition is to get you going out and shooting in the next two weeks. And we will give preference to photographs made more recently. Now, if we get down to the point where the best photos are all from the old days, we'll go ahead and pick one. We've done it before. But try to go out and shoot. That's the real, you know, winning a book or even Lightroom isn't the point of this. I know you all email me and you're all concerned about the rules and can you win. You know, you're missing the point. The point is I'm giving you an assignment and and the team here is giving you an assignment because we want to get you out shooting. That's how things work. Right, Steve? That's what it's all about. The more you shoot, the better you get. Even if you don't want to get better, you will get better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is an endorsement of our plan that I didn't expect, but I'll take it. I also want to say that we're around 5,700 members in the Flickr discussion group. Uh, we do have sign-up movies on the blog that will teach you how to do it. Also, uh, for those of you who send me email on a regular basis saying you don't know how to make Flickr do this or that, note the little help icon that appears on each and every one of Flickr's 2.7 million pages. You can click that and get some help right there anytime you want. Click. And um, we also have 2,800 members in the critique group, and that's where you can... Send your photographs to get critiqued by others and occasionally the the show host too. I am going to say one thing about Flickr here. I'm going to make a recommendation that you all don't put your full res photographs on Flickr. Uh, Given the recent Mixer Flickr dust up over the potential copyright infringement. What is, what's the, what's the, what's you, you, the, you don't read our blog, do you? What's the Reader's Digest on that? You know I've been busy, busy launching products. Okay. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to read our blog. This if is you the whole thing about changing the photography universe that yeah, we do yeah, down yeah, at Adobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Flickr, I'm not going to get into this very big right now because I really don't, it's a rat hole. It's just basically Flickr's API allowed a company called Mixer to basically have access to every single photo on Flickr for sale. 
Yeah. And even people that didn't want their photos and said that they didn't want their photos and clicked that box on Flickr still have their photos accessed. Yeah. But, what? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so here's the deal. We're not here to badmouth Flickr. Flickr does some good stuff with us. I think they made a huge mistake here, and I'm very disappointed. I'm also disappointed they did not respond to our request for more information. So here's the way we deal with this. We don't have to kill the baby in the bathwater kind of scenario. What we just have to do is use use our head. So I limit my photographs to 400 pixels wide at 72 Ooh. DPI on Flickr. It's small. That's but, tiny. You know what? It's good enough for me to see for the contest. It's good enough for people to get an idea. And it's not good enough for somebody to steal and really do anything with it. Yeah. So it's up to you what size you make them. I would really recommend against the, the highest res because... You know, if if they're going to continue to have those issues there, I don't want to be responsible for helping you put your photograph at risk. Now, let's talk about our poll results. We asked you, do you shoot with shutter priority, aperture priority, automatic, fully manual, or program mode? And I was pleased with the results. Um, 54.6% aperture priority, 20% fully ma- uh, manual. That means roughly... Uh, and then, uh, let's see, shutter priority, 5%. So roughly 75, 80% of you are, are using the, the, the modes in the camera that allow you to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, 16.2 of you still use program mode. And by the way, P does not stand for perfect. Professional? So, uh, not professional. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, I would, and, and 4.2% of you use automatic mode. So that 20% of you, we want to work on you. Start, start and get a little crazy. Go out there and experiment with your aperture priority mode. That's the safest one. Uh, start there and control the depth of field. Let the camera take care of the shutter speed. That's the way most of us shoot. Go ahead, Ron. No, I didn't. Well, I'm yes, sorry. Fred. I agree. Yeah. No, I was, uh, were I'll there any something. surprises at all for anybody on on this? I mean, it sort of lined up the way I kind of thought it might. Yeah, what, what do you guys tend to shoot? I know I tend to shoot aperture priority most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much stuck in aperture priority. What I was going to say is, uh, the folks that shoot in program mode, I think it's okay to shoot in that mode or any of the like you know portrait or whatever. But you use it as a sort of you know crutch until you understand what the camera's yeah. actually doing. So if you know that oh, when I go into program mode quickly, it's going to make my aperture wide and not a, you know just understand what the camera's doing, and then you'll soon outgrow that mode and and you know rely on setting the the camera yourself. You can make a safety shot with program mode, mm-hmm. and then go ahead and try to figure it out on your own, mm-hmm. and look and, at your and look at your EXIF data and yep. see what it did. Now be be advised. What is, what is EXIF data? Scott? <laughs> Scott shaking his head. You know, you're just trying to kill me, aren't you? <laughs> Look it up on Google. Um, you can check your, 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 the metadata that comes in your camera and see what it did. Also, remember, each camera handles this differently. Some will automatically go wide. Some will not. Some will, you know, do punch the ISO. Some won't. So see what your camera does. But I'm glad to see that a large percent of our audience is experimenting with the more creative modes of the camera the new poll is really simple do you use third-party lenses or not it's a yes or no kind of deal if you use third-party lenses or all your lenses from your camera manufacturer that's going to be up there for about a week check it out at twipphoto.com hey hey scott just before we leave this poll did you know that i'm not sure with the d3 but i'm pretty sure on the canon side that you can there's a mode on the high-end cameras where you can have it hunt for iso so that's the third parameter. So you could lock in a shutter speed and lock in an f-stop, and it will adjust your ISO and let that be the variable. Well, you know that the auto ISO on the D3 does that. Oh. You can set a parameter that says, here's my minimum ISO. Yeah. And then you can enable auto ISO and set a maximum ISO that's acceptable. Yeah. 
and you can just you and know, it'll hunt in that range and, and it'll keep say the f stop and shutter speed. it'll keep the f stop and shutter oh. speed and automatically adjust it i love it see i'm but, always an aperture priority but yeah. that that you know is a really well, everyone says well, why would you need that as a pro i mean auto apertures for people that don't know what they're doing no 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 because here's the deal let's say i'm shooting at f28 in bright sunlight and I have a nicely composed subject, and I've got, you know, F two eight. I want a really narrow depth of field. I'm doing a portrait, but then something happens off to my right in some open shade, mm-hmm. and ISO two hundred isn't going to get it. So I would have to stop, look down at my camera, adjust ISO, recompose, and shoot. And by the time I do that, maybe my opportunity is gone. With this feature, all I do is pull the camera around. It says, oops, there's not enough light over there. It doesn't change anything else. It just boosts the ISO up to the maximum I select. Mm-hmm. How, many of you guys, how many of you guys have, like, shooting the night before in the jazz bar at ISO? Yeah, exactly. The next day, you pull out the camera. Oh, my God, there's something going on. So you shoot, 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 and realize, oh, my God, I'm at 3,200. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, so I that with that, film. <laughs> Oops. You, you know, Mrs. I, I Jones at 32 point, by 40 portrait you wanted. Uh, we're going to have to read it. It's, re- it's re- never that. happened to me, but I've heard it's happened oh, to other people. Listen yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's worth making the point, though, that really, you know, that there's there's a kind of a historical bias to having only sort of two things you tend to control with these these major uh, automatic or these you know these priority modes, you know, being aperture and shutter. And really, these days, I mean, there are three variables for your That's exposure. Right. There's aperture, there's shutter, and there's ISO. Mm-hmm. And it, it still feels like cameras kind of have this historical settings of only, you know, giving more priority to the shutter and the aperture modes. But you really just kind of want, you know, I should be able to set any two of those and let the third one float. Exactly. I love it. Mm. Well, we're going to talk about weddings today. And before we do that, I want to mention that uh, this part of the show is sponsored by our friends at Lens Babies. If you are interested in wedding photography then um, hopefully what we have to say will help you. And if you're not interested in wedding photography, I want to I ask you to keep listening because a lot of what we're going to talk about may apply. And I'm going to make the initial analogy uh, using my friend Steve Simon, who's a well-known photojournalist, that you know, wedding photography is not something that stands on its own. It's not like in and of itself a kind of photography that doesn't relate to anybody else's work because, Steve, you know a lot of photojournalists that are diving into wedding photography as the markets shift and newspaper jobs aren't available. You know, it, it's really like the perfect uh, photo story. It's got all the elements. You've got, you know, real life. You've got, you've got, you know, hopefully maybe, uh, you've got everything that can happen at a wedding uh, is like covering any kind of human activity. It, it, it fits well with what a photojournalist does. And I think that's part of the reason why photojournalists have drifted into it. Um, it only happens once. You've got to be there. You've got to get it. There's no second chances. And, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be, you know, maybe a food fight or something. To, it's like going into a combat zone a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, you have one, one chance to get it right. Steve, I had a question for you. So, you know, I had, I've had this discussion with a lot of people just around the sort of label of photojournalism as it applies to wedding photography. A lot of wedding photographers call themselves wedding photojournalists. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence about that because I think, I think it's more of, of documenting an event rather than, rather than it being true photojournalism. When I think photojournalism, I tend to think like, you know, Eddie Adams and those guys that are taking pictures of people standing in front of tanks and, you know, putting themselves or doing a picture story on, you know, somebody that's doing crack in an alley or something that's, you know, that's going to change the way people think about things. So I want to get your opinion on, do you think the term or the phrase wedding photojournalism is appropriate or is it more 
wedding documentary or something like that. Yeah. I think it, it really describes a style, but, you know, I mean, I hate labels to begin with, but I, if I'm going to use the photojournalism label, I use it, it means that the images that are being produced are being uh, disseminated out there, and photojournalism is about communicating to large groups of people. Documentary photographer, on the, uh, on the other hand, is, is a similar pursuit, but it just doesn't um, get disseminated like journalism. It, it gets disseminated in newspapers, magazines. So, in a way, it's a, a, a misnomer when you describe it with wedding photography. Mm. But at the same time, it is kind of a style. It's kind of a don't get involved, let's be a fly on the wall and capture what's going on. So it's, mm-hmm. it is a label, but I, I don't think it's a particularly accurate one. I, it's certainly a, a wedding photographer is, is you know, going in with a bias. I mean, they are trying to you know, skew the documentation so that this appears to be a wonderful, beautiful event, whether it is or not. And uh, you know they're not going to they're not going to do a, a whole lot of business as a wedding photographer if they go looking for the <laughs> the embarrassing ugly details of a wedding. I don't think. My, my broader point though is many of the skills you would have as a photojournalist. Oh, absolutely, absolutely yeah. apply to weddings oh, yeah. and no things question. that I've learned shooting weddings. I've applied in the field as a nature photographer, and that's so that that's important. I've shot more than five hundred weddings. Wait a minute, what skills apply to nature photography? Perfectly, perfectly good question, and I'll explain it to you. For instance. When you're working in portraiture, one of the things you really need to focus on is getting the eye sharp. Mm -hmm. That's about the only thing that have to be sharp in a a wedding portrait or any kind of portrait. Well, guess what? In wildlife portraiture, there's not one bit of difference. In wildlife portraiture, what counts is getting the eye sharp. If you get the eye sharp... Everything else is, is okay. In, in people photography, you want good separation of arms and legs. And, you know, you want things combining together where it looks like somebody's got an amputation. Same thing in wildlife photography. Uh, light is light. So no matter what good light is at a wedding, you know, you start to recognize good light in other places. So there's a lot of basic photographic skills in shooting a wedding. Now, the thing that I like most about weddings is you get paid. Yeah. You get paid lots, and you get paid often, and it's one of the few things in photography that actually is lucrative. There are many, many jobs in photography that pay somewhere between twenty and $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, wedding photography is a place where you can make millions of dollars a year. Now, not everybody's going to do that, but you can. You can make millions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it, it's my standard joke. If you want to find out what kind of photography pays, go hang out um, you know, on Friday at any big camera store and see who's actually buying gear. I'm not talking about touching, holding, ooing, and awing over it. I'm talking about putting it in the bag and walking out the door having paid for it. It's wedding photographers. They got the money to do it because they're getting paid. Yeah, and they're the ones who run through the cameras because they're actually using them and not you know, leaving them on the tripod and oogling at them. It's not something for everybody, and it's the first thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, is this something I really could see myself doing? A lot of people don't like it. I mean, Steve hit the nail on the head for me. I mean, wedding photography has the opportunity for you to just you know, get everything you want as a photographer. Everybody's dressed up. Everybody's on their best behavior. Usually, uh, it's everybody's in a good mood. It's a it's a big celebratory day. It's usually at a nice location. Yeah. You know, there's every- drama. There's emotion. You know, yeah. I've I've you guys have probably heard it too. I mean, photographers will sort of discount wedding photography, and I completely you know I think they're just they're doing it for other reasons. I mean, the fact is, um, it's it's. Oh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. No, but I it, think yeah, it, I think you're right. I mean, back you know, the the Brooks Institute of Photography down in in uh, Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara, you know, 
a David J is a is a you know a prominent wedding photographer who also teaches at Brooks, and he told me that you know the shift of you know, back in the day, it was, oh, if you're going to be a wedding photographer, you're sort of the ambulance chaser of photography. And it's shifted now to, wow, you know, because there's some really good wedding photographers doing some really outstanding, innovative work in blending in different genres. Like like we said, photojournalism, fashion, all that stuff is sort of moving into this world. And you can really be creative now rather than just the you know, the pose shot of the bride with the, with the parents hovering in the cloud above them. And the software tools we have available yeah. to us allow us to do things with those images in post that Absolutely. solve a lot of problems. I used to shoot weddings in the film days and I would carry one body with black and white film in it mm-hmm. and one body with color film. <laughs> and I would have to ask the bride in the pre-wedding interview, what shots do you want in black and white? And we would have to work that out in advance. Now, think about this. It's, it wasn't that long ago. You know, 1992, 1993, I was shooting weddings that way where I said, okay, now do you want the formals in black and white or do you want just the reception? And they had to commit. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any going back. Now, we just shoot everything digitally, of course, and we go, would you like this print in color and in black and white and in sepia? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the opportunities to make money are greater because you can sell three different prints of the same picture, whereas you used to be able to sell just one. So you've got that, and if you get a good workflow going, you can actually streamline the process to where it's literally a job you can do working two or three days a week on your images. Of course, the other side of the coin is you need to spend two or three days of work selling a week uh, selling and marketing because that's – that's the big part of wedding photography nobody talks about, nobody wants to talk about, but it's all about salesmanship. You've got to be able to sell yourself. And, and, and I want to recommend that if you're not interested in selling yourself, you don't try to become a wedding photographer or you partner with somebody who's good at sales. Many times in a situation like with me, I, I didn't really, to be honest with you, didn't care what color – the, the girl had chosen for her wedding or didn't necessarily care what her shoes looked like or didn't necessarily care what the cake was going to be like. But those details are very important to her. So I hired a young lady who could interface with other young ladies on those issues and be all excited and giggle and say, oh, that's going to be pretty. And she was the one that took the brunt of that. So I could go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just take pictures. And she was the person who ended up doing the initial sales. I would go close the deal, but she would get them through the big two hour interview where they wanted to gush about all the cool stuff they had. And I I paid her like 10 bucks an hour. She was happy. Uh, the, The girls loved her. And whenever there was a problem with any of the brides, I'd send them to her. And then she'd tell me and then I would deal with it. And it was a great system. So you do need to have somebody that can interface with the public if you want to be a wedding photographer. And if you're the kind of person that has a wonderful, friendly personality like Steve Simon, then, yeah, you can sit there and very patiently listen. Mm -hmm. So I've got a question for you, Scott. Yeah. Um, Regarding the business side of things. I mean, I've I've done a pretty good job in my life of avoiding weddings, particularly ones where I would have to hire the photographer myself. (laughs) Or being involved in as a groom. (laughs) Exactly. But um, but but I was at a wedding. I don't know uh, when I was in Europe. You know, about a month ago, and you know the, the photographer was running around. A great photographer, and, and you know, really good with working with the the guests and everything. But when it came time, you know, and I'm back in the states. You know, they sent out an email saying, "Here's." You know, here's the sh- shots we took, and the only way I could get those images was was effectively to buy prints from them. And I know that you know historically, photographers generally made a lot of their money selling the prints as the post thing. Where where are we at these days with just saying I'm going to hire a photographer and I want them to hand over all of the digital files and they're done? You know, I'm just just doing that versus 
paying for prints and things that, and sort of the that's just a negotiation and the very high-end guys typically are very high-end guys because they control the images they own the copyrights that is their right and they tell people up front this is how i work now if you don't like that you don't want to hire me mm-hmm. you get a guy like dennis reggie or clay blackmore or or bambi cantrell a girl like bambi cantrell you get you get some of these experienced professional high-end wedding photographers they charge a lot of money and they make a lot of money by selling the prints unfortunately print sales have gone down because of digital brides today mm-hmm. don't care that much about it so the model we were using when i closed up my wedding business was we just worked for a flat fee it was 25 grand and you got everything mm-hmm. you got everything and i didn't care and it was yeah. it was great because i didn't have to do any post yeah and then we actually ended up making a little extra money because if they wanted posts, we charged them extra and we charged them on an hourly basis. We didn't charge by the print or by the size. We just charged 200 bucks an hour and we'll sit there and make as many retouches for you as we can. And they would either print them themselves or we would. Go ahead, uh, Fred. You know, what, you know what's interesting about wedding photography right now is that the, uh, you know, it's sort of an evisceration going on right now in terms of the influx of really good cheap slrs digital slrs mm-hmm. that any that uncle bob can go buy and then put it on program or automatic and call himself a photographer uh so you know these guys or people are going out there going shooting weddings and taking high paying twenty five thousand dollar jobs away from people like you scott Moore, you know when you were shooting and saying hey i'll just shoot it and i'll uh you know throw the images on a dvd or throw them up on you know my website and have at it just pay me 500 bucks so that's just cutting yeah. the low end out of the market completely, leaving only the middle range and the high end. Mm, that, that's probably true to a certain extent. But I think the, the people that are in the market for the high end sort of understand what they're paying for and they know what they're, they're getting. Um, as well, I, I think, and Scott, you, you let us know because uh, with, with programs like Aperture, for example, where you can create these books very quickly and yep. websites, Lightroom, mm-hmm. same way. I mean, that's just another uh, way to sort of profit from uh, your coverage of a wedding. Uh, Absolutely. Really Slideshows slide are really big, which is why when I went down to Cupertino and met with the Aperture team, I begged and pleaded for an export slideshow button so I could sell it because uh, brides want slideshows. In fact, brides, young brides, that, that I've been interacting with just really don't care that much about the prints. Now, their parents will buy prints, but the brides are like, nope, just put me up a website, give me a digital slideshow on CD, I'm good to go. That's how they share images. And, you know, the whole point of a wedding book and prints in the past was to share the images. Now we have the ability to do it online. That's the way a lot of brides want it. And that means a revenue stream for professional photographers is cut into so they have to come up with new revenue streams, and that's where, you know, using stuff like I use Photomagico, you can make killer slideshows with oh, Photomagico yeah. that look like stuff you'd see on television, and you show it to the bride with impactful music, which, by the way, you need to license legally, and away you go. You can charge 500 bucks for a slideshow. You can charge 5000 if you're Dennis Reggie, and uh, that's, that's a new... You know, that's a new device to make money with. But yeah, for me, Ron, the basic answer to your question is I just charged a flat fee and gave them everything they wanted. But I made sure that there was enough money up front that I didn't care. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like that's the way things are going. Well, it just it just it just totally depends. Everything about wedding photography is regional. Yeah. I mean, for instance, if you go to North Carolina and South Carolina, Alabama, a lot of people simply will not in the deep south agree to see the, their spouse before the wedding ceremony. Mm. 
out here on the West Coast, it's just, you know, the way we do the formals is we shoot them in advance of the ceremony. Out in the, out in the South, they won't even hear of it. Uh, down in the South, a, a single portrait of the bride done in studio is the principal piece of photography done to celebrate the wedding and all the stuff at the the wedding can be as simple as just ceremony work whereas you know you try to sell that out in the west they're like me come to the studio for a portrait why it, it, so it's very regional and and people you know i after we do the show a hundred guys will email me and say that's not how it's done we do it this way well that's how they do it and and there's no wrong way to do it the right way to do it is whatever it will you know, get your client to say yes. But the great news about being a wedding photographer, you want to make money at it, is this. Take a town like Tacoma, Washington, not the world's biggest city, but not a small city. There are 10,000 marriage licenses hmm. granted there every year. You know, now, if there was a, if there was a way to cover divorce as a photographer, <laughs> you really make now, well. What we do is we do give a ten percent discount on the second time around, Steve. So. <laughs> you know, there's there's no kidding about that because I have a friend who's a, a wedding photographer. They got to get your money like soon because there have been times when he's delivered the pictures and oh, the yeah. marriage is over. Oh yeah. Well, we took everything up front. That's the way we did it. But you, you know, you can. The thing is, if you got ten thousand wedding licenses in your town a year and you want to work one day a week. Saturday shooting weddings and do one wedding a Saturday. That means you've only got to get 52 of those brides out of 10,000 to say yes. Mm -hmm. And this is not a job where you have to be able to hit home runs or even be famous. I mean, there are very large amounts of money going into wedding photography and going to people we've never heard of because they don't bother to go out on the circuit because they're too busy. You've got people like, you know, Dennis Reggie, Clay Blackmore, Bambi uh, Cantrell on the circuit teaching people how to do wedding photography. But there are others who probably make more money than them that we've never heard of because they're just so busy making money, they don't care about going on the circuit. So there's a ton of money going into wedding photography because of that one fact. You don't need to hit a home run. You just need to bunt. You need to get wood on the ball. Scott, can I ask you a question? Sure. I, I, I think um, the idea of an assistant is important because if, especially if people that want to get into the business, they can actually hire someone who's probably done more weddings than they have oh, yeah. and they can learn from the assistant. Absolutely. But how important is the assistant to you when you're covering it? Well, when, we, when I was doing my high-end weddings at the end of the time I was in the wedding business, I had six, I had six assistants, three of them shooting three of them, you know, just tending to the bride basically and whatever we needed. And assistants are make or break. You want an assistant. Typically, I really try to work very hard at getting a female assistant because they won't, for whatever reason, let me in the dressing room with the bride while she's putting her clothes on, but they will let the female assistant in. You stick a camera in their hand, teach them how to take some basic stuff, and you get killer shots. So I always I always shoot a wedding with at least one assistant. The assistant can be the bad guy. That's the other thing that's really important to remember at a wedding. You know, 90% of, of making a wedding sale is getting the bride to like you. It really, you know, if she likes you, she's going to like your work. You know, there's... There, there. Those of us who are photographers can can tell the difference between good and great wedding photos, but the brides can't. Mm-hmm. If it cut here, remember their standard is it came out. If it came out, remember we used to say that when we were kids. We mm-hmm. took them pictures and they came out. Yeah. Well, if they came out, they're going to think they're good. That means something different in San Francisco. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if if they came out, she's going to like them. So the thing is, if you've got problems, like if you've got a pushy grandma or you've got an uncle Bob who's got your exact camera at the wedding who keeps popping his flash into your shot and ruining it you can get in their face and i i made the very big mistake of doing that when i first started at weddings and people wouldn't like it and they would yell at me and say you know don't you know 
don't talk like that to my Uncle Bob. I'm like, but he's ruining my shot and you're going to hold me accountable. So what I found out the, the right way to do that was, was I got an assistant and she would say something, you know, and she would be the bad guy. Good cop, bad cop. The manager in the back room at the car dealer. Yeah. Let me go check with my manager. <laughs> yeah. to see if I'm I on your that. side, but he won't let me give you that kind of money for that car. You, you know? can't do the undercoating for anything less than 10 grand. So I, I, I'm on your side, mister. I really want you to get that car. I'm going to bed for you. So she, she would do those kinds of things for me. So that's another great. And the other thing is I can't remember everybody's name. I'm just not good at that. And I got a lot on my mind. You know, I got a shot list in my mind I'm working through. Mm-hmm. So I would have the assistant learn everybody's name. And, and see, I just would use an old wedding photography trick. You know, they'd introduce you to all these people. They'd say, this is my brother, Bob. This is my sister, Joni. This is my mom, Edna. I would immediately forget anything after the familial relationship. And I would just call everybody mom. I'd say, mom, come over here. Uh, Sister, you stand behind mom. Brother, you stand. And I would just do that because it was just easier. My assistants would actually learn their names and really help so I could concentrate on the photography. The assistants, great point, Steve. I think they're crucial. And you can, you know what? You hit another home run there. Many times, if you work with a professional assistant, they'll know more about wedding photography than you. And, and, you know, that's that's one thing, Scott, that I know, like, for instance, there have been some, you know, big name photojournalists who have gotten these nice advertising accounts, they know nothing about advertising photography. They, they, they get a, an assistant who's gone out on a hundred jobs, knows the lighting. You know, they really do the, the work for them. And, you know, you're paying the photographer for the photographer's vision. And, and the vision is, is now being translated uh, by the assistant, you know, with the lights and so on. Yeah. So you can look so much. Modern day gaffers in the wedding business. Uh, you know, it, it's really important. And so I, I, and if you can't afford a good assistant, get somebody there to, at least to help you. Even if it's your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, get someone to help hold reflectors, to run interference for you, to help you keep track of things. There's, there's a, I, I, we were running out of time for this topic. I do want to point out a couple of resources for you and give you a couple of tips. Um, first, let's go with tips. Um, some secrets to getting really great wedding shots that not many people will share with you. One of the big things in wedding photography these days is uh, portraits that look like the photos you see in the fashion magazines. Mm-hmm. And one of the real things you need to know about that is they're all taken with long lenses. A lot of those portraits in the fashion magazines are with three, four, five hundred millimeter lenses. So, you know, you've always been taught hundred millimeter lens is the perfect portrait lens. Not at a wedding. You know, two, three, four hundred is what you want to shoot those portraits with. It compresses the background, gives you a narrower angle of view, helps you get a nicer bokeh. Shoot those things wide open and you'll come up with these shots that look like something in a magazine. That's tip number one. Tip number two, make sure you focus on the bride. Because weddings are for the bride. That's who they're for. So every picture should have as many, inclu- you know, and any opportunities to include the bride as possible. Because that's who everybody's going to want to pay for. They want to see the bride. They want You want to make her happy. And by the way, most other people there don't want their picture taken anyway. So make sure you focus on the bride. And keep your relationship with her absolutely positive. She she needs somebody she can lean on. These days, we don't have wedding coordinators because the budgets aren't there. In the old days, when I started doing weddings, there were wedding coordinators. And the wedding coordinator was sort of like the bride's assistant. And she would the wedding coordinator was typically a woman, and she would sort of organize everything to take pressure off the bride. Today, we don't have those. So usually, it's the photographer or the DJ who step up and do some of that. So they, you know, you've done 500 weddings. This is their first. They look at you and say, when should we cut the cake? 
<laughs> you know, when should we do the first dance? Yeah. You're, you you got to know that stuff and you help them and you become their advocate and they trust you. And that really matters. And then uh, another tip is get help when you start in this. Don't pretend that you're doing something that you don't know how to do. Just be honest with people and say, hey, I'm new at this. I, I'm willing to try it and see what I can do and I want to learn. Join the Wedding and Portrait Photographers International. They have classes. They have seminars. They have books. And magazines, they have the magazines, rangefinder. They, yeah, rangefinder published by Skip Cohen, who used to be president at Hasselblad. Um, they have top flight authors that write these stories. They have print competitions, so you can kind of get a look at what's working and what's not. Business advice, and they have insurance, which is important. You can buy into their group insurance pool. It costs like, I don't know, 100, 200 bucks a year. It's not much. So check them out. WPPI, the Wedding and Portrait Photographers International. Fred, before we wrap up. I, one question for you as a, you know, have someone that has made a lot of money in this. How do you get started for those guys that are listening guys and women that are listening i want to start my wedding photography business but it's a you know chicken in the egg no right. one will hire me because i never shot a wedding yeah right. yada, yada. How do well you, it, you know in my case i was begged to do it i was i was shooting sports and i had done some fashion and somebody saw a fashion portrait i did and said would you shoot my sister's wedding i said i've never done a wedding in my life i have no idea if i can do it well they kept begging and begging i said you know I pay my back in the film days. Pay pay for my film and processing, and I'll do it. And I kind of liked it, so I did a, I did a couple of more like that. And once I had four or five under my belt, I decided to go get some classes from you know uh, a local photography school and wedding photography. And I hung out with some people. I was very lucky; got to hang out with guys like Monty Zucker and Clay Blackmore, some of the real big names in the business. I watched what they did. I took some seminars from them. And uh, I, I just started applying what I learned, and I, I joined some of these organizations like WPPI. That's the best way to get started. But I really want to caution you. This is important to the people that you're photographing, so don't fake it. I mean, we live in the Internet age where everybody thinks they're an expert at everything because they can say something on a blog without having to be held accountable for it. Mm-hmm. You're not an expert if you've never done it. <laughs> so just yeah, be- you don't want to you don't want to over oversell yourself, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's how a lot of uh, photographers get into weddings because they you know they're known as a photographer, and someone close to them says, "Hey, you know, we need some pictures." But you just don't want to say, "Okay, I'm a wedding photographer. This is what I'm going to charge." You got to be completely honest and go through it for the experience. And as you gain experience, then you'll have the confidence to uh, to actually charge and and give them their money's worth. But it's too important. And like you said, Scott, you know, you see it, you hear it happening all the time. You know, disappointed couples because they hired someone inexperienced and it just didn't come out. Right. Well, most of the associations even have funds to help brides who lose all their pictures due to unsavory photographers and and the bottom end of the business does have sort of a used car sort of feel to it so you know if a guy rolls up to you and says he'll do your wedding photography and he's working out of the back of his station wagon you might want to think twice we need to move on because we have to take time to say thank you to our good friends at audible Audible sponsors this show and makes it possible. And if you would like to engage with Audible, we've got a special way for you to do it that's reserved just for you as a TWIP listener. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP, T-W-I-P, and guess what? You'll get a free downloadable book. That's their special gift and our special gift to you for being interested in Audible and everything that they do. Most of us are uh, people who like Audible, and I use Audible, and one of the things I just downloaded because Audible was nice enough to give me a couple of free credits was Seth Godin's Purple Cow. And that is the TWIP pick of the week. And the reason I picked this book is that it goes 
hand in hand with our subject today, which is wedding photography and more importantly, making money as a wedding photographer. Purple Cow is a business book. So if you start doing wedding photography, guess what? You're a business person. And you need to understand some things about business. And this is one of those books that just absolutely has taken, you know, it's just, it's taken the, the world by, by a storm. It's, it's a way to um, really help you understand how to stand out. It's, it's, the whole thing is about being remarkable. So, for instance, in the wedding business, if you could do something nobody else is doing, then that is a purple cow. Um, Seth recently wrote a blog post. I read his blog religiously where he said, if you're a photographer, um, you know, bring some of your images front and center on your blog post uh, ahead of the text and, and make the image the star because too many photographers let their images right under the text and they forget their photographers. Little things like that. By standing out, you can really be successful. So it covers marketing and sales from this new perspective of being remarkable. It's not your traditional sales book. It's a very, very enjoyable listen. And uh, if you want, you can use your free Audible credit at audiblepodcast.com slash twip to download this or any of the other 50,000 now, 50,000 titles. We thank Audible for their support and hope that you will too. Time for listener questions. You never thought we'd get here, but we did. Um, <laughs> it's, we always have so, so, so many, so many questions. Um, time. Yeah, it, it's, it's, so little time, so many questions. We, 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 know, we were always thinking, okay, we'll, we'll periodically do a Q&A podcast that's just nothing but questions, and that'll let us catch up, but that doesn't has even, never happened. It doesn't even come close. <laughs> so we do have a question from Harvey Birnbaum who says, uh, can you devote some time on TWIP to covering the protection of your photos online? What good is things like watermarking, etc.? And even if you have copyrights, how do you find out if someone illegally uses your photos? So does anybody uh, want to start? Well, I, I will say this goes back to the conversation that we had about uh, Flickr earlier and that, you know, different sites that allow you to post stuff have different uh, sort of options for protecting the photos. Flickr, you know, basically doesn't do anything in terms of all they, all they do is they let you tag whether a photo is a Creative Commons license or is copyrighted or not. Uh, some of the other websites like... Um, Oh, what's the one that uh, really lets you lock down your stuff? Smugmug, I think it is. Well, you know, will let you do something where you can't just like drag a drag a photo out of the browser. There's ways to get around it, but you know, basically, I'm just saying, sort of explore what's out there in terms of uh, allowing people to download the full resolution versions of your images. Yeah, I think watermarking does help. Um, you want to you want to do it in such a way that it it helps people still see the photograph, but also you know makes it clear that you uh, have the photograph that will help you and there are many tracking services out there I use a proprietary service that I paid to have basically built for me unfortunately I can't share that with anyone but there are, are numerous companies that do that if you do a search on Google I'm sure you'll find some there is software that allows you to embed a tag a secret tag in the photo that then makes that sort of like a low jack and then whenever your photo appears online, you can do it. But there's a couple of poor man's way to do it. Just create a name for your picture that involves a unique identifier. It could be something as simple as your phone number or your name. 
and then do random searches on Google. And some people are so lazy about their theft that they won't even change the file name after they steal your picture. And you'll find your picture showing up someplace. Of course, we just wrote an article on the blog about registering your copyrights. If you haven't registered your copyrights, none of this protection will buy you any help in court because without registration, you can't recover money damages. And money damages are the things that give teeth to protecting your images in court. So I'd highly recommend that you consider registering your images and uh, you know use common sense. If you're dealing with sites you're not familiar with, you might want to hold off on uh, you know giving them high-quality images. If they're sites that are reputable, you can decide how big an image you want to put out there. The smaller the image, the less valuable it is to the thief. There's a, uh, there's a website that I was just looking at the other day. I think it's in private beta still, but it's called 10i, T-I-N-E-Y-E, I believe. And um, they, you know, they are explicitly for doing searches of the web using this very you know, sophisticated kind of image comparison algorithm where you, you upload a photo to them, and then they go out and crawl. I think it's their database. I think they've sort of pre-crawled the web and do comparisons to, uh, to see if the photo you've just given them matches uh, with something they've found online, and then they'll tell you, okay, here are those websites, uh, here's the URLs for where this photo also shows up. I don't, uh, right now, you know, I don't think they've managed to crawl the entire web the way, you know, anywhere near the amount that Google has done, but I, I've talked to the CTO there, and they've, they're doing a lot of smart stuff, and they, they actually get some really good hits. Like, he showed me one where, and he did this live in front of me, where he had a photo of a guy drinking a cup of coffee, and he did a search, and it found some little like border image that somebody had cropped just about 50 or 100 pixels out of that in a thin strip and just used it as almost like an artistic kind of border mm. on the side of their web page. And it, and it found that. It caught, it caught that it was being used there, something that would be almost difficult to look at you know, visually and immediately see it. So I think there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down the pipe pretty soon that's going to automate this process a little bit more. Yep, hope so. So we hope you answered that question for you. Next question from Ron Reed. I would like some bag suggestions for a combination of a Canon 40D and a 15-inch MacBook Pro. I've seen Brinkman's bag and uh, saw that show, hoping to see others from you guys. Uh, do you know of a good backpack or slingback? I don't want anything huge, just barely big enough to hold these. If Brinkman's bag was a tad taller and wider, it would be perfect. Love the show. Thanks. So do we have ba- – we haven't heard much from you, Fred. What do you think? Well, I've got – I can't remember the model name of my, my bag, but it's a Low Pro bag, and I just got it from the folks at Low Pro. Thank you. Uh, but it, uh, it's got wheels on it. It's like one of those roller airport bags, but it's also a backpack, so you can carry it around if you want to. You can wheel it. It has a slide in the back for my 15-inch MacBook Pro. And, you know, of course, the front is like your standard sort of low pro bag. It's so far, it's the ideal bag. I graduated to that one from, I guess, its little brother that didn't have the wheels or anything like that on it. But it's it's an awesome bag. If you go to low pro site, you'll and search for backpack or roller backpacks, you'll find it. Yeah, I think bottom line is you got to find a big camera store and just go and try and what's out there. Mm-hmm. What, what do you use, Steve? Well, gosh, you know, bags, where do I begin? My, my love for bags. I've got a bag problem. Bags. I've bag got a people. thousand bags. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, what I'm liking now is uh, the Think Tank. Uh, I've been using their uh, roller. And, and when I hit 40, all my bags have wheels. And, and I think for photographers, I mean, it just makes sense. Unless you're just carrying a small little... little That's something. why I have wheels on my bags now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you hit 50, you need a porter. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I basically, I look, I go to my closet and I choose my bag the way some people might choose their 
wine, I guess, or I don't know. I, I just will, will, if I know what the assignment is or what I'm going to go out and shoot and what equipment I'm going to bring, I'll choose the appropriate bag. I, I, like, I think the crumpler bags are kind of cool. I think there's some of them that are really nice. But, uh, yeah. You're, I, Does your girlfriend has- know that you have this problem, Steve? <laughs> Oh, she does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I just heard a sort of excitement in your voice I'm not used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's how to get me going. Well, 1-800-camera-bag. I, I, uh, I am I'll, going I'll to... Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to recommend uh, the Think Tank 360 to this gentleman because um, he said he wanted something barely big enough to hold this. I, I think that's a possibility. Um if not the Think Tank 360, then uh, Kata has several small backpacks that, that are capable of doing this. But I think Ron, you know, he aced it when he said, just go to a big camera store. You got, yeah. Take, yeah and, and take your gear with you. That's what you want to do. Take the actual gear with you that you plan to put in the bag. Take everything. Take everything you want in that bag. If you want to carry around a bulb blower, if you want to carry around a microcloth, if you want to carry around a teleconverter, filter, take everything with you and actually test it in the bag. The most reputable camera stores will let you do that. And then you'll find out. Then you'll find out, yeah. is that big bag big enough? Let's get on to another question before we go. Um, this is from Beth Van Dyke. Um, I've been listening to twip number 29 where you're discussing lenses. And the gist of the question is she wants to know how you weigh the value of a really fast, like 2.8 lens, against the value of a lens with image stabilization or vibration reduction. Does the VR or IS trump a fast lens? And I, I think that she she's probably confusing quality and the ability to hand hold is sort of what i'm hearing there it's it's the question is worded in such a way i'm not really sure what she's looking for but um i i guess we can start with if you if you're going to shoot a 28 lens it's pretty big and it might yeah. be harder to hand hold so would it be better to go to a vr lens sure it's going to cost more money what what does everybody else think yeah, you know, all of these lens questions is so hard to say, you know, get this one versus that one. I mean, you know, the, having a wider aperture gets you a lot of advantages, not just, you know, slow, low light shooting, but also being able to control the bokeh more and put stuff out of focus. You know, the, the, the VR or the image stabilization is really handy in some situations. Not all lenses have it. So, I, you know, it's, it's so hard to kind of point to one feature and say, yeah, that's what you want versus that one. It depends a lot also on what kind of stuff you're shooting. You know, so if you're, if you very rarely find yourself in low light situations, then you don't really need a really, really fast lens, you know, concentrate on the, the quality of the lens in terms of its optics and, you know, if it's, if it's right for you. Yeah, those those wide lenses, the two eight lens, I think for a lot of us professionals, I mean, it's not only is it fast, but you know it's bigger. Uh, the quality is often better than some of the slower ones that add VR as kind of a compromise because it isn't so fast. The lens, I mean, generally that two point eight glass is is the best out there. I mean, you know, just generalizing some of that fast glass. So, um, but you're right. Not everybody, not everybody needs it. And, and Beth may not uh, necessarily. Well, and uh, you know, sometimes when you've got 2.8 glass, if it's on the, the longer focal length lenses, they become so heavy that you can't handhold them. So you're either going to need a tripod or something like VR. I have no idea, Beth, if we got to where you want to 
wanted to go with that question, but I, I do hope you appreciate that we tried. And She's uh, more confused now, yeah, but that's yeah. the way it is. If you have okay. questions for us, send them to twipphoto at gmail.com, and we will do our very, very, very best to somehow answer them eventually. Uh, we, uh, we have no idea what we're going to do next week, so we're going to get together and powwow on that. If you have some subjects you'd like us to cover, you can help us uh, figure that out. Also, if you have guests that you would like to suggest, and preferably guests that you actually know that you can help us reach, that would be fun too. We do record the show every Friday at 10 o'clock Pacific time, so the guest would have to be available then. I, do, I can tell you that in coming weeks, we have, and this is really going to disturb all those, those conspiracy theorists who assumed that my Nikon switch would mean we never said the word Canon again. But we have a fellow who works for Canon and who trains their call center people on how to help folks with common Canon camera programs. His name's Lance. He's scheduled to eventually appear on the show in the next couple of weeks. And we are trying to uh, get a couple of other big-name photographers to come on. But we'd like to hear what you want to hear about. So send us email and let us know, twitphoto at gmail.com. Or you can just leave a comment on the blog in the show notes relevant to this show. Now, before we go, it's important that we have a tip. Who wants to give a tip this week? Dun, 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 I'll, dun, I'll do one. All right, Ron Brinkman, you are the tipster. Well, mostly because uh, it was a, a thought that I didn't manage to squeeze in back when we were talking about it. But when we were talking about how do you shoot uh, aperture priority or uh, or all the different priority modes, I think it was it's important to know that when you know you when we say we're going to shoot aperture priority and you know you set you set it to a particular aperture and let the uh, the camera sort of determine the camera speed that. There is one more thing that I think we'll probably all do, which is there's the little uh, exposure adjustment dial or exposure adjustment thing that you can do. That exposure says, right, compensation. Oh, yeah, right. exactly. Where you can say, all right, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting at, uh, at a 2.8 aperture and the camera's chosen, um, you know, a 300th of a second. But, you know, you can also kind of nudge that up and down and effectively choose to tell the metering to slightly overexpose and slightly underexpose. And I would say, I, you know, more times than not, even if I've dialed in and I'm shooting aperture priority, I'm also tweaking that over an overexposure or underexposure a little bit to get something that is, is better exposed. Yeah, most of the, the DSLRs, uh, even some of the basic ones, have exposure compensation. And definitely something that um, you want to take a look at. Well, I think that's it. I think that we have, you know, pretty much covered everything we're going to have time for today. So I'm going to ask Steve Simon where he would like uh, us to direct folks who want to reach him. Uh, website, stevesimonphoto.com, Scott. Okay. I just don't put the Scott part in. Yeah, I understood. <laughs> I, I think everybody got that. We'll, we'll okay. find We'll find out. Um, um, let's... Let's move over to Ron. Ron, would you, where would you like us to point folks? Probably to Amazon so they can buy your book. That's right. Uh, or digitalcompositing.com <laughs> is the main site for the book, and it's got all kinds of stuff in there. Or Twitter at me at uh, Ron Brinkman. All right. Frederick. Uh, they can find me at Adobe, or actually find my product at Adobe Lightroom at adobe.com slash Lightroom. Or if they want to follow me, I'm always at frederickvan.com. Well, I need to make a little bit of an announcement. It's mostly by way of disclosure so that we don't, uh, don't have anybody claiming that there was any big secret. Um, as of uh, Monday, I will be uh, a member of the board of advisors to a company called Fotrade. 
So I've uh, gotten involved with that company, and I want everybody to know that so that when I talk about Fotrade in the future, you can be forewarned that I have an interest in the company, and I'm going to be spending some time uh, working on that product. It's in beta right now. Got some exciting things that we'll talk about later on regarding that. And um, I have a portfolio there, of course. But until then, you can just find me at scottborn.com or Twitter, Scott Bourne. That's it. That's all we got. There's nothing else. Hopefully, uh, Mr. Lindsay will be back to join uh, our esteemed panel next week. We are very thankful to Lens Babies and Audible for their sponsorship. Thankful to all of you who listen. And until next week, we're going to put the lens cap right back on.